What fuels our next step when the journey is daunting, facing seemingly insurmountable odds? When failure has been our companion, why do some choose grit when others quit? The capacity for grit is what the writers of Scripture called endurance or perseverance. Perseverance is the shape of a heart that's increasingly able to honour its commitments, live out its calling, and rise above the hard to reach the hope. Some call it grit, some resilience. Whatever you call it, it's simply the shape of a heart that refuses to quit hoping that God's best is yet to come. It's the grit in your soul that finds traction for blessing in the most difficult circumstances. And there is a pathway to these gritty blessings that will lead to a resilient life. Jesus once shared them in a mountaintop moment. Eight Steps to Building a Resilient Life Hey, welcome Calvary Tyrone and Lewistown and Milheim. It's great to be together this weekend. And thank you to all those of you who are joining us online as well. As we finish up this Gritty Blessing series, I don't usually say this, but I've prayed that the message this week will make us uncomfortable. Perhaps inspiring, definitely sobering, maybe convicting, but mostly I've just prayed, God, would you discomfort us? I don't want us to lose hope, you know that, or grow fearful. That's not what I'm praying. I'm not praying that something bad would happen to us. That's not it. But but I have been asking God to help us fall out of love with our comfort. I felt like it was the only way I could tackle this last gritty blessing without feeling like a, a virtual reality Christian playing video games, unwilling to enter into the the real thing. As I was preparing this message, I ran across so many stories of persecution, no way I could share them all. And so I decided to focus pretty much on one life, one of my heroes of the faith, a woman by the name of Helen Roosevelt. She was a medical missionary to Zaire. She experienced great persecution and also an amazing revival, a great move of God. I've shared a story or two about her in the past. My my first intro to her came years and years ago when I listened to a talk that she gave at a missions conference called Urbana. It was a missions conference for college students. She had been on the field at that time for about four years, but the mission was hard and, and her attitude was worse. Things had gone pretty badly. And she she had all of the excuses any of us would need to justify a bad attitude. She was desperately overworked. She was literally the only doctor for half a million patients. There was no colleagues to turn to. All the responsibility fell on her shoulders. She had become quick-tempered and impatient with everyone. Fortunately, her African pastor was watching and saw her spiritual need. And one Friday, he came to her village and told her to pack her bags. She was going to spend some time in his village. So she packed her backpack, got on her bike, and left. He had already told his wife that she was coming, and she had a room ready for her firmly but courteously. He said to her, just get yourself in there and get straight with God. Ellen shared, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, all day Sunday, I spent before God, and I got nowhere. The heavens were like brass. The Bible was dead. I couldn't get through to God. By Sunday night, she said, I was I was depressed and discouraged. I, I had this utter sense of failure. Everything was so hopeless. I went to the door of the house and out into the courtyard, and by the embers of the fire sat my pastor and his wife. I went out to him and sat beside them. And after a long, painful silence, I said, please help me. He leaned forward and spoke patiently. He said, Helen, do you know what's wrong with you? We can see so much Helen that we cannot see Jesus. He he was silent for a while, and then with his heel, 
He drew a large capital I in the dirt. And then quietly and deliberately, he said to me, I think you know that person, don't you? I dominate your life. Me, my, mine, self, everything revolves around you, your program, your vision, what you want to do. I is in the middle of everything. He, he said some more hard things, and then he seemed to change the conversation. And he said to her, I noticed that you drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> A lot of coffee. (laughs) And every time they bring you a cup of coffee, you stand with it in your hand, waiting for it to cool. May I suggest to you that every time you stand waiting for your cup of coffee to cool, you just pray a short prayer. And he said the words of the prayer. And as he said the words of the prayer, he moved his foot across the dirt. May I suggest you simply say, please, God, cross out the eye. Cross out the eye. It's a really good description of the gritty blessing path. We come poor in spirit, desperate for God, broken, desperate for help. We're coming to the end of the eye. But how many of us are ready to pray, God, would you please cross out the eye? I mean, what's your picture of the blessed life, the the wealth of Elon Musk, the writing ability of Ann Voskamp, the social media following of Cristiano Ronaldo, the, the athletic ability of Serena Williams, the voice and market smarts of Taylor Swift, or maybe the ministry influence of, of Tim Keller? All good blessings that that many seek, but then we come to the cross out the I beatitudes. I mean, imagine you're in the market for a new car. You visit the dealer and the salesman takes you for a test drive in the latest model. As you turn out of the parking lot, he launches into a sales pitch. Three hours in this car, he says, and your back will be so out of joint, you'll need physical therapy to walk upright again. The cost of repairs alone will put my kids through college. And there's this smell. It's hard to describe. It's somewhere between new car smell and dead skunk on the side of the road smell. And when you drive down the street, every head will turn as the people fall to their knees laughing at you. I mean, what would you say? What kind of mileage does it get? No, you'd, you'd say thanks, but no thanks. And be honest, how many times in the last few months as we've studied the Beatitudes, these gritty blessings, do you find yourself thinking just a little bit, thanks Jesus, but no thanks? I mean, not all of them, but, but some of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit? Yeah, no thanks. Blessed are those who mourn? Yeah, that's okay, Jesus, no thanks. Blessed are the meek. I know you're saying they're going to get the earth, but I don't really believe it. No thanks. But then we come to the biggest no thanks blessing of them all. Persecution is the thanks, no thanks blessing. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, imagine that you're starting a world-changing movement in hopes of influencing millions of followers. You might move Jesus out of marketing. It's like, what are you thinking, Jesus? You got people coming from all over. They're eating out of your hands, sometimes literally. I mean, how about blessed are the sick for they shall be healed or, or maybe blessed are those who believe for they will have money or blessed are those who follow me for they will be in control and comfortable. But Jesus leads with poverty and he ends with persecution. I got to say that again. Jesus leads with poverty of spirit and he ends with persecution. Blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the persecuted. This kingdom, this kingdom of God is so for them. 
I don't know. You, you, you got to respect his integrity, his honesty. There is no bait and switch with Jesus. Sometimes there's bait and switch with the church, but not with Jesus. There's no every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. He, he's calling people to a dangerous journey with an amazing destination. Don't lose sight of that, but it's still a journey that will require a don't quit grit from the spirit of grit himself. He doesn't promise a carefree life, but he does promise a better way to live. And and he points the way when he tells us that gritty blessings belong, begin in brokenness, and they lead to persecution. <laughs> I say, really? Yeah, remember this is a pathway. It's, it's not eight optional qualities for the deeper Christian life, but a, a gritty blessings path that will turn your heart inside out and your life upside down. It, it leads to radical heart transformation, and it begins with brokenness, a poverty of spirit that leads to a sense of desperation that, that causes us to cry out, God, would you help me? Like, I got to have what I can't get. I actually get excited. It sounds a little bit weird, but I get excited when I start hearing people say things like, I feel so inadequate. I'm so far in this hole, I'll never be able to get myself out. I've done everything I know to do, but nothing works. I give up. I can't do it. I need help. Because once we see our need, we we begin to repent of our self-dependence and we mourn. And mourning tenderizes our hearts, opening us up to to God's strength. And strength under God's control leads to meekness. Remember, you, you you hear the path? As we give God control, we begin to experience his presence. And it's so awesome. Our, our hearts begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and as we hunger for more, he gives more. We start becoming, actually becoming like him. Instead of bitterness and judgmentalism, we surprise ourselves as mercy and compassion flow out of our hearts. And as we give mercy, we get mercy and our hearts grow pure. And we, we begin to see God and we get filled up with his shalom. His peace. And as we get filled up, we long for others to experience it also. We find we can no longer keep the peace, so we make peace for others. We take the gift of peace we've been given and we make peace for others. These gritty blessings start in brokenness. And, and over the course of the weeks, maybe, maybe you've been starting to embrace. We've, we're starting to embrace the path, starting to believe this is actually what I need. And, and then he goes and adds this huge thanks but no thanks blessing. What? Really, the, the journey starts with brokenness and it ends in persecution. You mean the end game of this gritty blessing pathway we've been talking about is persecution? No. The end game is the kingdom of God. Persecution is just a marker. It's a, it's a signpost saying you're going the right way. Far too many of us have bought into various forms of prosperity teaching that say, you know what, if you live for Christ, everything's going to be great. You'll be successful and wealthy, a, a problem, a life filled with certainty, control, and comfort. There's, there's a Greek word for that kind of thinking. It's the word lie. <laughs> now, now, to be clear, Paul and Jesus they tell us we will never find a greater life, a life so full of peace that it just overflows. We'll, we'll never find more blessing in this life or the next than we find on the path that Christ offers. But the, the path is filled with hard times, even persecution. It requires a don't quit grit. See, if Jesus taught a prosperity gospel, he wove through it a persecution gospel as well. I mean, the very DNA of our movement was set by the hearts of people who were persecuted. Philip was beaten, thrown into prison and crucified. James was stoned to death. Andrew, Bartholomew, Simeon, Jude, and Peter all crucified. 
Jesus was clear that he did not come to make life easy. He came to make people great. Unless we think, well, you know what, Dan, that was back then. People are a lot more tolerant and civilized today. That's not today. I mean, really? I mean, have, have you read the news? Have you listened to the news? Have you studied the global realities of the persecution of Christ's followers? Have you just looked in our country? I mean, what did Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write in 2 Timothy 3.12? He said, in fact, everyone, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, there's a, there's a book that's been used by God to lead many people to believe in Jesus. It's called The Four Spiritual Laws. And, and the first law is this, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And, and honestly, I, I believe that's true, especially looking back. Sometimes in the moment, it doesn't feel like quite so much. But what if it's equally true that God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life? I mean, how many Christian bestsellers incorporate that into their title? Not, not too many worship songs about the God who plans to make our lives difficult. And, and if you really trust us, hang on. <laughs> While Helen Roosevelt was a medical student, she attended a, a missionary gathering in New England. And that's where she first kind of felt this call to be a, a missionary. She declared publicly, I will go anywhere God wants me to, whatever the cost. During her address at that college missions conference where I was first introduced to her, she, she remembered, she said afterwards, I went up into the mountains and I headed out with God. Here, here's what she said. She said, okay, God, today I mean it. <laughs> go ahead and make me more like Jesus, whatever the cost, but please, she said, knowing myself fairly well, please, when I feel I can't stand it anymore and I cry out, stop, will you ignore my stop and remember that today I said, go ahead. God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life. I mean, think about it. When in the Bible did God ever give someone an easy life with a cush assignment? <laughs> when, when did God find it necessary to interrupt time and space and tell someone, I've got an assignment for you, but it's not all that difficult. It won't take very much time. It's not going to cost you much or get you into trouble. Just, just kind of do it in your spare time when you think about it. No big deal. No, when, when Jesus prayed to his father for his followers, that's us. He said, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. The same kind of mission, the same form, the same path. Listen to Jordan's gritty blessing stories of the mission we've been given to see people come to know Jesus and the persecution that can follow. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you don't know me, my name's Jorn. And uh, recently, my wife Bonnie and I were at a church planters conference called the Timothy Initiative. And while we were there, um, there were individuals from Africa and Myanmar and India and a few other places. And at the end of the conference, they had these international leaders share their testimony and share about the persecution that they were facing in their own countries. It was uh, pretty sobering as we listened to some very harsh stories of people being beaten for their faith and churches being burnt and 
you know, people just being uh, completely maligned for who they were and ostracized from their communities because they chose to follow Jesus and to believe in Jesus. And I believe that as we look into what's happening around our world, uh, we can lean into a place like Myanmar, which is uh, a place that we love and we care about. We have lots of friends there, and they have so many stories of the trials and tribulations and what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. Um, you know, there's a, a war going on there, there's a coup, and unfortunately, much of the dictatorship has focused on the Christian. Uh, community, especially in the north. Most of our friends are from the Chin State, and um, recently there's been bombings, and whole cities have been burnt, and you know, pastors have been executed outside of their churches uh, because of their faith and because of trying to actually help the Chin people while the war is going on. So that's been quite sobering itself to hear these stories of what's happening there. My wife, Bonnie, and I, we support a church planter. His name is Samson. He's in a village about eight hours from the Agape Orphanage where you know we serve and bring a lot of people. And when he went to this Buddhist village, he immediately began to go house to house and share his faith. And immediately, uh, the Buddhists began to come to Jesus and begin to meet in his home. And he was planning on having a baptism and uh, during that time, the head elder of the village and also the head Buddhist priest came to his home and they told him, you're not going to baptize these people. And he threatened, they threatened um, the, the, the villagers and told them that if they uh, were going to get baptized, that they would actually be thrown out of the village. Uh, and they told him that he needed to stop actually preaching about Jesus. And then a few nights later, believe it or not, a cobra slipped inside their uh, little hut that they had. And uh, Samson, praise God, heard his wife screaming and was able to kill the cobra. And I uh, just want you to know, there's not very many cobras in Myanmar. And so, you know, we just believe that, you know, these type of stories are just part of what it means to live out your faith in a nation where they don't have the kind of freedoms that we do here. But I also want you to know that there's great things happening. In the last few years, over 200 Buddhists have been baptized. Many have come to Christ because of you know, the initiatives that we have taken to support church planters and support our friends in Myanmar. And we're hearing great stories of people who have, you know, have been preaching the gospel and their lives have been transformed uh, because of the glory of God. And so we're just grateful for everything that we're seeing happening, even though we know that there's trouble, even though we know that people are suffering and Christians are losing even their lives at times. I think as we, you know, consider our friends there in Myanmar, and not just there, but all around the world, it'd be great if once a week you would consider praying for the world, praying for the persecuted church, and praying for our friends in Myanmar especially. I mean, they're going through a lot. Uh, a lot of them barely have what they need. And yet, because they believe and have a focus on who Jesus is, it's really created that grittiness that we've been talking about. And so we can agree with them that they can stay the course and to have that kind of grit that we all need to be followers of Jesus. 
the mission that God has given us might lead to persecution. I mean, the reality is not everyone is going to be thrilled with your peacemaking or your love for Jesus. Open Doors USA is an organization that works to support persecuted Christians globally. They, they report that 360 million Christians around the world, this year, this is a this year report, 360 million Christians around the world suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. 360 million, that's more than the population of the United States. Myanmar, where, where we have gone frequently, and so many of our friends are there, is number 14 of the toughest places in the world for a Christian to live. I, I can't tell you how many times that I've been there when I prayed with a new Christian who's been kicked out of their village or disowned by their family. God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life. And if that's true, are you ready to go for it? Or is it more like, yeah, God, I don't know, maybe. Let me think about it. Thanks, but no thanks. And yet Jesus says that there's a blessing that comes with persecution. So the question is, when is persecution blessed? Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, now let's be honest. Sometimes what we call persecution, it's not so much blessed persecution. People refusing to say Merry Christmas to you this year probably doesn't count as blessed persecution. The fact that people won't sit next to you might be persecution or might be you. You just smell bad. I mean, if people are reviling you and saying bad things about you because of what you posted on social media, before you decide that you are blessed by the persecution, go back and ask yourself if Jesus would have wrote what you wrote. Sometimes I read the most arrogant Christian stuff on social media. I mean, if, if you're constantly fighting with others over political, religious, social, moral issues, and, and you keep walking away just feeling superior because they just don't get it, and you're so glad you got it, I'm not sure that always being right always means being blessed. See, sometimes it's not persecution. It's just the result of being a jerk. When is persecution blessed? Not when I'm a jerk. <laughs> See, the blessed persecution that Jesus is describing is is a a persecution poured out on us by unjust people for unjust reasons. And, And specifically, Jesus is talking about the kind of persecution that comes when mercy, purity, and peace are flowing out of here. Remember, it's a pathway. And and the persecution that leads to blessing is the persecution that comes when we've hungered for righteousness and God has filled us up with mercy and, and purity and peace and mercy and purity and peace are flowing through us and out of us into the world around us. And for some people, that's incredibly uncomfortable. When mercy, purity, and peace flow, sometimes people lash out in anger. They want to stuff it down and snuff it out and get it out of sight. They are not interested in Jesus. And as we embrace our brokenness and model meekness, as we let God refine our hearts and champion righteousness and forgive those who harm us, it, and it, it just it turns the world upside down. Jesus calls us to a life that is beautiful and true, a massive disturbance of the status quo. Jesus calls us to trust him in our most painful, in our most difficult moments as he teaches us how to live and how to find beauty in life, even in the worst times, even in the midst of persecution. And when we live like that, people begin to see Jesus in us. And Jesus said, 
If they hate me, they'll hate you. Not all of them. (laughs) But do you understand, when they hate you like that, it's because they see Jesus in you. And when that's the why of persecution, it's blessed. And finally, it's blessed when it's an act of worship. On my account, Jesus says, when you suffer for me, when, when it comes because we love Jesus so much and we become like Jesus so much, when, when it's a gift to Jesus, when it's on his account, when it's an act of worship, are you uncomfortable yet? <laughs> Ruth Rosevere was a missionary to the Congo from 1953 to 1973. It was in the midst of a difficult time in the Congo, and, and when she first came, she was the only doctor for over a million people, and, and God used her in amazing ways. When, when she came back, she spent her time sharing her stories with others. And on the campus of one Christian university, she was asked to speak to a group of guys in a residence hall. They, they didn't know who she was. They didn't know her story. And, and honestly, they came less than excited. They're draped over couches and slumped on the floor. And they viewed her with skepticism. I mean, just picture, have you ever seen her on YouTube? You, you can find her on YouTube. Listen to her. Thick glasses, simple cotton dress, gray hair pulled back probably a bit too tight. And just a couple minutes into her testimony, into her story, Helen sensed the lack of interest, and she just stopped. She said, I I don't want to bore you guys with the details of my life. It's late. Why don't we just take another 10 minutes, and I'll answer some questions. I'd rather talk about things that interest you. Hand quickly shut up. Yeah, I got a question, one said. We, We got missionaries coming through here all the time, and they're always talking about paying the price and suffering for Jesus what did you ever suffer for Jesus? And without even a trace of bitterness, Dr. Roosevelt quietly said, well, during the Simba uprising in the Congo, I was raped twice. The room grew quiet. Government soldiers came to my bungalow, ransacked it, grabbed me. I was savagely beaten and kicked. I, I lost my back teeth through a soldier's boot. They, they broke my glasses so I couldn't see to protect myself from the blows And then two army officers took me to my own bedroom and and raped me. They dragged me after that out into a clearing. They tied me to a tree and they stood around laughing. And while I was there, beaten and humiliated, violated and ridiculed, somebody discovered in my bedroom the only existing handwritten manuscript of a book I'd been writing about God's work in the Congo over an 11-year period, 11 years worth of work. They brought it out, put it on the ground in front of me, and burned it. And as Helen watched the book go up in smoke through clenched teeth, she said to herself, is it worth it? Eleven years of my life poured out in selfless service for the African people, and and now this. She went on and she said, the minute I said that, God's Holy Spirit settled over that terrible scene, and he began to speak to me, and this is what he said. He said, Helen, you're my daughter but you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, is it worth it? The question is, am I worthy? Am I the Lord Jesus who gave his life for you, worthy for you to make this kind of sacrifice for me? She said, and God just broke my heart. I looked up and I said, oh, Lord Jesus, yes, it is worth it, for you are worthy. There's more to the story. I'll share it in my next D News, but I think this is where We need to stop. We can just stop on that question. Because I sense that God is asking some of us right now, am I worthy? 
Am I trustworthy enough for you? Am I worship worthy? Am I sacrifice worthy? Am I risk worthy? Am I worthy? We have a saying at Calvary, you've maybe heard it. We say it oftentimes in, in relationship to front yard missions. Say, all the good stuff is on the other side of awkward. All the great God stories, all those relational moments that you'll never forget, at least when it comes to loving our neighbors and being on mission, those awkward moments come. And, and then too often we shrink back. There's this gap between who we are and who we think they think we are. And so we shrink back from the awkward moments. We don't want to offend someone. And, and, and yet the reality is if you're going to love someone or forgive them, if you're going to talk to them, about Jesus, you're bound to come sooner or later to an awkward moment. But all the good stuff is on the other side of awkward. And we so say, press through it. Don't, don't stop at awkward. Press through it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad your reward is great. Joy and great reward are on the other side of awkward. All the good stuff is on the other side of awkward. And so is persecution. Can't always tell which is gonna come. But I can tell you that the reward is amazing. So don't quit. Listen, you're, you're in good company. You're, you're in the company of the prophets and people like Helen Rosevere and Joseph Tsan from Romania, Mint Shui, Solomon, Moses, and boy, uh, Joseph, our, our friends from Myanmar. You're, you're in the company of Johanna, a Palestinian Christian who pastored a small church in Jerusalem, and Camille, who pastored a church in Turkey. He was beaten and threatened multiple times, but never denied his faith. You're in the company of Hoa, a Muslim student in North Africa who read a Christian tract and decided to become a Christian which led to her brothers and father trying to electrocute her. And when they couldn't, they kicked her out of her home naked. She became a missionary. You're in the company of those who seek a greater reward than the eye-filled life that too many of us find ourselves being encouraged to seek. Rejoice, Jesus says, when you go through persecution for my sake, for you will have a great reward. And if we take nothing else from this, this message, take away Jesus' call to keep our eyes on the primary prize. Don't settle for the stuff that can only be found on this side of heaven. Go for the greater reward because there's so much more. Don't quit. Ask God for the spirit of grit to descend upon your life in such a way that your soul is saturated with never quit grit because he is worth it. He is worthy and he's worth it. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for each and every person listening. God, I thank you for the things that you've been doing in us and through us and around us over the course of these last few months. God, I pray that each of us, I pray for myself and, and every person listening, God, that you would move us along this path of gritty blessings, that, that we would not be afraid of persecution, that we would forge past the awkward moments, even if it's going to bring persecution. Because we know that the reward is still so great, it's beyond our imagination. God, I pray that we would see you as worthy, as trustworthy, as worship-worthy, as sacrifice-worthy, as risk-worthy, and that we would we'd give our lives, give ourselves to you. Jesus, thank you for laying out this path of gritty blessings. Would you give us a, a spirit of grit, a never-quit grit, that we might continue on and be the people whom you have called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.